JB Knowledge Podcast Network. On episode 67 of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, talking about parametric cargo insurance with Jan Barbaru from Autonomy. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific tech we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. Another day, another day. As we record this, it's Friday, October 15, 2021, and we're in the fourth quarter of 21 which is insane it's like we've been in a freaking time warp since january of 2020 and uh hard to believe it's eight quarters later since uh the vid since the vid hit but uh having a successful insure tech connect just makes it all feel like the world's coming back together a little bit a lot of people got together in vegas it was busy 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 we had a booth there for our two products, Smart Compliance and TerraClaim, we were we were there talking about certificate of insurance tracking and then insurance claims management uh, for PNC and Comp, and uh, we had a, a busy InsureTech Connect. Uh, unfortunately, and I am really pissed about this, I didn't get to go because yours truly had a little ankle surgery, unpleasant, but that's okay. It's okay. I keep telling myself it's okay. I'm, I, there's always next year, or is there? Because I said there's always next year in 2019 when I missed InsureTech Connect that year. I was thinking it was at the same boot. I think, Jan, I think you missed 19, and then obviously everybody missed 20 because it was virtual and stuff. Isn't that right, Jan? Yeah, 2020 was not too exciting. You know, you already get tired of Zoom every day. Yeah. So this year was a, was a big event. Yeah. Very glad I attended last year. I mean, this year, sorry. Yeah, lucky duck. Lucky duck. I just had to sit at home. That's okay. That's okay. It's all, it's all good. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter or anything. I did get to watch my fighting Texas Aggies beat the tar out of Alabama uh, in College Station. Uh, it was uh, it was exciting. Of course, uh, football really jazzes me up, and uh, that was uh, that was an exciting event. With us, also in the great state of Texas, the illustrious, the most interesting, Rob Galbraith. Rob, what's up, buddy? Hey, James. Congratulations on your Aggie victory. Oh, man. It was very sweet. I stayed up so late. Excited. I was fighting it, but I, I did manage to stay up the whole the whole game. And um, yeah, ITC was uh, amazing. Um, it was great to see so many folks. There was a ton of folks, of course, I didn't get a chance to see. I, and I was uh, telling Jan I was only there for just over a day, really, Monday afternoon to Tuesday afternoon before I had to fly out for a, another uh, conflicting event. So um I don't know how many people were there in person. It was definitely less than a kind of typical year, but it was still uh, quite chaotic. And, you know, I know a lot of folks have been to events, maybe, you know, two, 300 folks uh, since the the pandemic's been in the, you know, ebb and flow. But uh, yeah, seeing this many people all at once and I think everyone was trying to figure out the protocols. It's like, are we, are we fist bumping? Are we shaking hands? Are we hugging? Are we <laughs> keeping six feet apart? Are we taking our masks off if we're talking one-on-one and keeping them on or whatever? So a lot of confusion over the protocols. A lot of confusion. A lot of confusion. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. My kids, 
school, they said they said that like, you know, the masks were encouraged. And I tell you that lasted for about three hours the first day. And then after that, there was no <laughs> masks at all. I mean, it was like, no, I'm not wearing that. It's like, of course, uh, most are vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. So, uh, you know, go Vax. Yeah. With us today, again, we have Jan, CEO and head of analytics at Autonomy. He's over in Brooklyn, uh, not too far from my niece, my uh, beloved niece, Emily, lives over there in uh, in Brooklyn. She loves it. She's having a great time. Now, you're not from Brooklyn, though. How do you do know? Like, you're not. How did you know? <laughs> 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 let, me, let me guess. Uh, why... Why did I know that Jan is not from Brooklyn? <laughs> That's pretty good. Also because of where you went to school, my friend. You don't go, you don't go to a Marseille when you're from Brooklyn. Uh, so I think we have a Frenchman on here, but I, I'm going to let you say where you were born and raised. Yeah, that's right. So I'm from Marseille, France, mm. not Marseille, uh, Texas. <laughs> And so I grew up there, went to grad school in Paris uh, back in the early 2000s, studied computer science. So I'm, I'm a geek, I'm a nerd, but I decided to uh, jump ship, shift gears towards financial services and uh, started my, uh, my first job in Wall Street in 2003. So I've been in the U.S. for 18 years, mostly in New York, uh, Brooklyn, Manhattan, been enjoying it, uh, navigating between, you know, technology, uh, capital market risk management in uh, downtown Manhattan at several banks, uh, financial institutions. Uh, most recently, I used to work at Citigroup in their ventures innovation studio, very much uh, at the essentially the intersection between financial product and you know integration of uh, deep tech, so blockchain, machine learning, all the buzzwords you like. And in 2019, I thought that you know innovating from a big behemoth in Wall Street can become very boring, and he, um, you know, essentially uh, took the leap of faith and started my startup. That's awesome. And let's talk about France for a second. I'm uh, I'm uh, I have a significant percentage of my genetic heritage from France. My uh, I'm from South Louisiana, and my grandmother was sure. uh, very French. Julia Pellegrin wow. spoke French, and uh, I first went to France. Uh, so I'm class of '01 in college as well, class of '03. So you and I were in undergrad and grad school at the same time. Sure. And I went over as a high school graduation gift. My dad took me to to Europe, and we 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 stayed in Paris and took the Eurostar to London. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, I'd I'd heard a lot about French culture. I got to experience French culture. Of course, I'm a massive fan of French wine. Mm-hmm. My favorite white wine is Poulouffouse. Mm-hmm. Like my favorite, uh, a good Louis Jadot Poulouffouse is like spot on for me. Okay, so just be aware. My favorite cheese, Brie. Yeah. I, I'm just letting you know. I love a good baguette. I I, uh, I I feel very French, and I and I identified with the. Uh, there was something funny when we were on the Eurostar train, and we we took this super high speed train through the channel, 1997. Channel wasn't that old at the time, and we get to the other side. The French train conductor gets on the the intercom, and he says, "We have arrived in uh, in England, and we're going to slow down because the British tracks cannot support the speeds of the French tracks." <laughs> Pretty good, pretty good. And I just started <laughs> cracking up. I'm like, that is such some passive aggressive, yeah. angry stuff there. And of course, it was true because the French had seamless tracks that supported 300 kilometer an hour speeds and everything else. And the British tracks were slower, but he was making sure that everyone on the train knew that the British tracks were inferior to the French tracks. And so I, uh, I, I, I appreciate it. Which is uh, 
Absolutely true. By the way, I support as again as yeah. uh, as comments. Yeah, yeah. But that being said, I, I'm a Formula One fan. I'm not a fan of Renault. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely on Team. Uh, Mercedes. Uh, so uh, sorry about that. But you've been around. You started at a French firm, Société Générale. That's correct. Over in in uh, New York, right. uh, the New York branch of Société Générale. So you're there for a few years. What did you learn along the way in investment banking and then in banking? So you did investment banking and then you did banking and then you were in global markets and then you were in there, this innovation center. What did you learn along the way that, that landed you over in insurance? Yeah, so the, my first foray into a financial institution at Society General uh, was uh, the intersection of love and financial services. You know, it's very glamorous to, uh, to work for a French company in uh, Midtown. Well, you know, I'm kind of uh, kidding about it, but, you know, they're very professional in terms of their uh, modeling and their engineering. They're probably not the best at uh, deal making. So, uh, you know, sooner or later, I was uh, essentially very attracted by, you know, joining uh, American platform uh, where you, you know, meet uh, the, the biggest talent, right, in the, uh, in the Wall Street um, sector. And... Um, I managed to join a few brokers and eventually Citigroup, where I was alongside very big talents in emerging markets, structuring, uh, a lot of uh, very talented uh, financial engineers, and also at the intersection of you know, the best technology out there. So along the way, I think I want to say deal-making, um, going through several crises, the Lehman crisis in 2008, uh, taught me quite a bit and uh, got me ready for what's coming next You know, in my uh, my current experience with my uh, current startup, uh, building full-blown underwriting model on a statistical basis, you know, full automated operations. Uh, we know that the insurance needed so badly, and I'm bringing the best of the operations and financial and engineering of uh, Wall Street into the insurance space. So that's uh, that's the thesis here. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's talk about autonomy. What does autonomy do now? What did you start it out to do, and what does it do now for autonomy? Yeah, so this these two drivers of why I was very attracted to found my uh, startup. And by the way, my co-founder Seb, who's a schoolmate from uh, grad school in Paris, who now lives in uh, in Colorado, is married from a girl with a girl from uh, Texas. So uh, I was in uh, Dallas for his wedding about nine years ago. So. So, so like, you know, in my heart somewhere. Uh, so I used to work for Renault. So it, it would be pretty mad at you, I guess, from your comments. <laughs> <laughs> but is now... <laughs> you know, it, when Red Bull switched from the Renault engines over to Honda, you yeah. know, because they were no engine, the Renault engines kept blowing up. And I was like, oh, <laughs> man. And the Renault guys were like, yeah, it is not the engines. It is the way they are managing and running them. And he's like, no, it's Renault. And then they switched, you know, and then, of course, Verstappen did really well with Honda engines. I'm just saying. Yeah. It is what it is. All right. Sorry. Interrupted. Go ahead. Yeah. You like your French accent, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> my fake, my fake, terrible French accent. I'm not claiming it's, it's good. Very good. Yes. It's very good. <laughs> no, so what I was going to say is Seb and I, you know, good friends from 20 years, uh, we got into blockchain, right? So that was kind of the premise of how we get into this uh, small contract automation of claims. So at first, back in, you know, 2016, 2017, where the market was pumping up, we got excited about, you know, prototyping, you know, first small contract in Ethereum, going to conference, you know, speaking at events, writing white papers and whatnot. And after a while, we said, you know, this is the one thing we want to do full time. 
And, you know, that's what pushed me and pushed Seb and, you know, to just jump ship and create the, the autonomy back in 2019. The second thing is like more nerdy. Uh, it's very much from my own background. You know, I, you know, dabbled and, you know, specialized in financial derivative securitized product. And, you know, this, um, you know, experience and understanding of the market uh, gave me some sense of uh, what's happening in parametric insurance was very well underserved. I thought, you know, from a top-down approach, what you want to look at is the financial derivative market is $100 trillion, and the parametric insurance space is $100 billion. So there's a 1,000x opportunity here, and we want to bridge the gap. We believe that we'll be bringing huge amount of exponential growth in, in the parametric insurance space, and there's other startups that are doing an amazing job as well. So for the uninitiated out there that don't understand what parametric insurance, break down the basics. That's a good one. I'm, I'm, I told you I'm very nerdy about it. So parametric insurance policies are data or index-driven contracts that independently trigger and automatically pay out. Uh, so we're getting rid of the manual adjudication of claims in this case. So let me give you an example. So there's been some parametric policies for quite some time in the crop insurance or weather insurance, right? So let's say... They automatically pay out. Yeah. The event happens and they automatically pay out. That's right. That's right. So if you are farmers in the Midwest and you have some issues with rain or precipitation level, your parametric product is going to be you know, triggering and get you money uh, same day. So without manual intervention. So we're bringing that concept into logistics, cargo, and marine, which is very novel. Yeah, because there's no that means there's no need for anyone to go out and check it out. It just automatically, they use the data feed. Of course, parametric insurance being enabled by massive amounts of big data systems uh, that, that actually collect and store and track this that we trust, right? Parametric insurance doesn't work unless you have a data source that's accurate and verifiable and trustworthy, right? That's correct. So the event trigger has to be independent and also secured and encrypted, right? Uh, so for that, what we call uh, decentralized uh, truth generation, which is essentially saying like, you know, you get an event trigger that people can trust on an autonomous basis, independent basis, is actually generated by our blockchain partner, Chainlink. Chainlink is one of the top 10 companies in the space. And uh, they're essentially giving the uh, capability of um, automating the connectivity of the outside world for real life assets into the blockchain. So let's say a cargo ship with sensors or trackers has some signals. We go through Chainlink, we encrypt, and we communicate with a smart contract, and everything is automated and secured. So that's, that's the way we, we do it. That's awesome. And, and you know, blockchain, again, for the uninitiated, blockchain is the underlying technology under uh, Bitcoin. It is uh, basically an, 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 encrypt, an, an encrypted, immutable digital ledger where you um, add blocks of data onto previous blocks of data and you can't edit them or delete them later. The, once they've been added, they are uh, irrevocable, cannot be modified because of the nature of the encryption program. Unless, of course, you threw like a quantum computer at it and then you could probably hash and brute force it. But we won't talk about quantum computing and how it blows up blockchain we can just discuss that another time, but uh, there, there's there's all, there's all kinds of really cool things that have come out of blockchain. We talk about blockchain a lot less than three years ago, mm -hmm. uh, mainly because the technologies that were going to use it are already using it, and they're just not talking about using it anymore. Mm -hmm. That's the the interesting thing I've noticed uh, from a marketing perspective. Now we write code. We you know I've I've got 250 employees, and 200 of them are software developers, and we deal with all kinds of underlying technologies that we don't talk about in our marketing literature, right? Like it's like I mean, why would we? 
no one really cares necessarily how you get to the end result. They just care what the end result is. And the end result here is that uh, it can't be, for your case, for parametric insurance, it's a trust, trusted, verifiable data source, and it can't be edited or deleted. So you have you have you know trust wrapped around all of parametric insurance because if you lose trust in the the raw data feed and the history, then the whole system kind of breaks down, right? That's correct. No, that's a great kind of introduction to, to the concept. And uh, you know, to just preface the conversation, uh, I agree with you, 2017, 2018 was a lot of this ramp up and all the rage about blockchain, Bitcoin and whatnot. Everybody's happy that, you know, we it kind of cooled down a little bit. You know, it was a little too much, too fast. Back in the days, we got rid of some clowns in the, in the area, right? So some hackers, some people that, you know, <laughs> are not helping the industry. And we left up with, you know, robust uh, people such as us and, and other players, you know, which are doing a very, very good job. We want to do like, you know, several things with blockchain. First, we want to be uh, servicing enterprise solutions, which is not, you know, necessarily an easy task because, you know, Bitcoin is all public, decentralized ledger. People can get scared about it. Uh, insurance incumbents are very conservative. And so having this uh, decentralized uh, network can be scary for them. So we kind of... Um, find some solution to get around it, but still have the power of blockchain being being involved. The second thing for you know our case, which is very novel, is the fact that we're actually connecting with real-life assets, right? So containers, uh, shipments uh, that can be perishables, vaccines, you know, very, uh, very current topic, you know, as you can pr- probably imagine, or very timeline-sensitive um, um, assets such as aviation parts, electronic parts or whatnot. And the connection between the real life and the blockchain is where we actually excel, right? So there's been a lot of those crypto insurance in place, which are great for whatever it is. But now people are interested in real life asset use cases, which is what we, we want to bring to the market. And then in terms of technology, um, you know, that does, you know, several things very well. So the first one is programmatic uh, activation of terms and economics. So our smart contracts are essentially like a, a mini CPA and a mini attorney, you know, working independently without having any manual intervention. So they are very much independent legal entity that can uh, execute terms and execute uh, economics. Um, the second thing is the fact that we are in logistics, cargo and marine. There's such, a, you know, siloed and, you know, essentially separated, um, you know, monitoring of assets, which is, essentially broken down right now. It's very opaque. It's very hard to actually monitor, monitor assets in, in the supply chain. The blockchain is a very great tool to break down the walls and bring transparency and bring a lot of uh, speed in terms of knowing what's going on, right? So we, we bring in a lot of this blockchain power in the space. And finally, I want to say like, you know, digital transaction, right? So we digital first in terms of payments, settlements, we make it fast, we make it very economic economical and and we don't have like invoicing check and the old school payments that you see uh, still often in in the insurance world unfortunately rob yeah yeah and it's really fascinating uh what you guys are are doing in autonomy and in your background and i can definitely relate to somebody innovating right at large organizations and then kind of you know spinning out on your own after you know bringing a lot of those uh harder lessons over the years so Tell me a little bit more about the specific use cases that you've enabled to date, the, the air cargo insurance, and then you mentioned marine, ground transportation I know is on your, your, your radar. 
Are you only going to go in the cargo sector? Are you looking to go beyond the cargo sector? And maybe you can talk a little bit about like what use cases are really best for the solution set that you're describing. Yeah, pretty front-loaded questions, but there's uh, so much to be uh, to be unpacked here. So, um, so the, your first question: so RBChat, our MVP, uh, is in air freight, as you uh, you know mentioned. So. The air freight product is a full end-to-end automation of detection of event trigger for cargo delay, interruption, and disruptions of supply chain, which are automated through this uh, chaining oracle that we mentioned before, programmatic execution of claims, and digital settlements in less than 45 minutes. So, aka, from a 45 days adjudication manually in the traditional world, we compress to 45 minutes, so it's an 100x uh, resolution time improvement for the clients, aka the freight forwarders, logis- logistics players. The next step for us on, an, on the horizontal uh, integration is to bring the same type of use cases in ocean marine and inland tracking, right? So the ground tracking and the ocean marine are bigger markets. They're also more comp- complicated in terms of data structure, operations and transparency so as much it is you know very very compelling so you can think about the swiss canal right so the what happened you know in march april uh, you know the clients the 3pls are would be dying to have our autonomy protection in this case uh, but it is also like you know kind of harder to uh, establish right so the uh, data and analytics which are now by the trillion still need to be organized some more so what we're looking at here is partnering with data team uh, sensors and hardware team that provide quality data, secure and encrypt- encrypted, and in, essentially manufacture parametric policies to the need of their end clients, right? So we want to partner hand-in-hand with the data experts, and we are the operation and pricing experts on the other end. So we believe that this is a great way of leveraging data, which is, again, you know, very, very big amount, very, very depth, large depth, and also like such a great expertise in the space that's been developed in the past five, 10 years. Now on the vertical level uh, for integration that's in air freight, we'll be going further into uh, creating more use cases in temperature monitoring, humidity, fire and smoke that can be happening, leveraging also sensors, embedded trackers in aircraft. The temperature is like, you know, such an, a very interesting use case because, you know, vaccine, perishables, and other kind of refrigerated assets are suffering that, that kind of problems anytime there's a delay or interruption of uh, supply chain. And in this case, the delay protection is one good thing, but having the granularity of temperature monitoring and where you can actually trigger under a certain threshold is actually be very, very valuable for the pharma company and, and others. So that's the kind of use cases we're contemplating in the future. Yeah, I love that you're bringing to life some of the concepts I talked about in my book, The End of Insurance as We Know It, this idea of uh, really getting down to the granular data, right? The atomic level data that's coming from streaming sensors uh, that's able to, you know, connect either via cell network or Wi-Fi to cloud computing where all this information can be stored using advanced algorithms to, to make sense of it all rather than the way that we've traditionally priced and underwritten these products, which is very much a, a swag, right? And you kind of hope in the aggregate law of large numbers, we, we get it right, but you're just not able to get down to the level of uh, detail that you're talking about. Very exciting. James? Yeah, let's. Uh, you're making a pivot because you you uh, you know you're you're going from providing tech to others to being your own MGA, correct? That's correct. Yeah. And what what's what's the 
what's the excitement there? Obviously, probably dropping the 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 time to quote. And by the way, I got to pause for just a second. I'm a pilot. I love talk. You, you you mentioned air transport. I fly every week. So you were actually talking about parts, and and it's a little raw because I've I've been trying to get parts for the last two weeks, and I finally got them. So. I'm actually able to fly again. I, I, you wouldn't believe how, well, you would believe. Everybody would believe how hard it is to find things right now. A uh, nitrogen bottle, oh. kind of important. Yeah, took me took me a, took me a few weeks to locate one of those. I had to get a, a, just batteries. I mean, just like basic stuff is pretty challenging. But you know, provenance on materials really matters. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why what you're talking about is really interesting, and particularly to me because of my passion for aviation and flying and uh, and dealing with airplanes. You're making a pivot from from being a technology provider to being an MGA, a pivot a lot of people have made in InsureTech, mm. right? They're, they're getting tired of enabling other people to do this. They're saying, hey, I can have a carrier back me and I can go be an MGA and get double the commission a broker gets and, and go streamline underwriting and streamline all the claims management. Yeah, and then in this case, you've ultimately streamlined the claims management, right? It's auto adjudication. So and you're only targeting parametric. How far... Can parametric really go? I mean, you're targeting things that that have a, some really good data feeds. Like one of my friends runs MarineTraffic.com. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have you have MarineTraffic.com, and that that gives you a lot of shipping data. And there's a ton of data on airplanes, mm-hmm. and so you're you're targeting industries that are data rich. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. What's the obvious path now for you now that you're an MGA? Like beyond just marine and transportation logistics and a, and air transport. Where does it keep going, and like, where does parametric insurance run into a brick wall? Yeah, it's like the trillion-dollar question, I guess. I want to say, like, you know, we we're not short of um, uh, ideas in the space, and you know, I've been kind of like surprised in a good way and pretty fascinated at ITC last week that the amount of parametric ideas and you know projects and startups that have been involved have multiplied, and this is a very good sign. Uh, you know, another good sign, you probably heard about Jamstar recovery and earthquake, um, you know, parametric in, uh, on the West Coast. They just, like, exited. So, it's, you know, you know the, the, the market is forming. People are recognizing this is becoming more mainstream. It's not, it's not as scary as it used to be. The quality of data, as you said, is actually one of the big drivers to clouds, API, but also embedded IoTs. So that's something that was not a conversation to be had in 2010. In the 2020s, that's definitely something that's very, very apparent and very logical for incumbents, logistics, and others. So within cargo and marine, um, you know, one thing that's essentially overlooked is we'll be relying on sensors, hardware, and those, um, you know, infrastructure platform, data platform. So therefore, there's an angle of uh, protecting the device, the trackers, and protecting against cyber attack, right? So we believe that, you know, the kind of the intersection of uh, cargo marine and cyber is actually a very big market that we want to address. Uh, because at that point, we'll be, you know, kind of running years and years of cargo operations on automated basis, but we want to secure our own data source, right, and secure the data source of the logistics player. So therefore, having security insurance and cybersecurity insurance embedded within our program is going to be beneficial on both both sides. So that's a, that's a big market already. Now, if you ask me in general, like parametric, 
We I had some prototype, you know, a couple of years ago in travel, for instance, right? It's also aviation related, but definitely like more uh, consumer related. So that's interesting. You know, the flight refunds uh, using parametrics, something that, you know, people are doing uh, different products, but have a little bit of the same same principle. So we, we dabble in that, you know, at that area for a few months. We looked at the Airbnb space as well. So like short-term rentals, it's somewhere that you want to, be able to actually protect for the sake of the host or the guest. Uh, there's more and more of a smart device in homes such as Nest, uh, Latch, or whatever it is. So you can actually connect those uh, signals and parameters and create parametric policies on the back of it as well. You know, automatically de- detecting some floods or fires in apartment buildings or you know real estates. That's something that can be very much improved. Parametric is there to help. I want to say that there's definitely more to it. Um, you know, we talked about business interruption through COVID. There's definitely some data that can analyze in terms of cash flows, revenues that could be triggering certain, certain compensation for businesses in order to survive instead of having like manual adjudication from, you know, adjusters for months and months. In that case, parametric can help. Credit insurance, mortgage insurance, you know, I, if you have another hour, we can go for, for forever. But this is definitely more and more of the data analytics that could be triggering uh, policies in the future. Yeah, and then, of course, the farther that IoT goes, right, mm-hmm. the 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 more that we can take per, parametric insurance because mm-hmm. the the key is being able to collect collect data at the origination point mm-hmm. from a trusted third party system, not a self reported system. You know, right? Honestly, drones play heavily into this. I think at the same time, right. you know, because you could mm-hmm. automate assessment in a disaster zone after a, after a cat. That's right. If you have a hurricane and you go and fly your drone over the affected area take real-time high-res imagery of all the roofs and all the houses and all the flooding. Mm-hmm. You could start paying claims out immediately based on what you're reading. I mean, there's, there's some really interesting things you could, you could do there that would really speed up payments and reduce the cost of claims adjusting and uh, make clients happier. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a kind of all around there. So it's, yeah. it's an interesting conversation. Yeah, you, you, can, you can kind of take it to the nth degree, right? Yes, I think the the home run for parametric is uh, risk prevention, right? So you going like you know one step ahead, right? So it's not like auto adjudication after the fact is actually predicting certain perils, and therefore like you know bringing the value to the end client, saying like you know we actually detected you know a certain pattern. It seems like you know should be course correcting in certain ways. And, uh, and then if you think about it, that's also like something that the life and health insurance should be leveraging, right? So monitoring heart rate, sugar level, whatever it is, is also something that can be not only triggering some health compensation, but also preventing a lot of those problems and gets you like healthier faster. So that's another use case that we can think about. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. That's awesome. Rob. Yeah, yeah, just a great conversation. And uh, I think you've really articulated right where some of the possibilities uh, are, which is pretty incredible. So you mentioned ITC, you mentioned the growth in parametric, and I completely agree with you. I've, I've heard about it more and more. I think it was kind of a, a concept and, and there were definitely some you know, MVPs that were out there maybe three, four years ago, but it just seems like there's been an explosion in uh, parametric offerings this year in 2021. And, you know, you mentioned your time at ITC, kind of coming across some of those and kind of fueling your thoughts going forward. So, yeah, just thinking maybe, you know, anything you wanted to share from ITC, we talked a little bit about, you know, just the the experience of uh, being back together after two years. So, 
how was the experience for you and what are you taking from that going forward? Yeah, so last week, you know, 72 hours, uh, frantic, you know, back-to-back meetings was definitely, uh, you know, as uh, exciting. It was also like very tiring, but, you know, definitely like, um, you know, the great experience. I, I wrote an article about my three days there. So I can share a medium article. So it, it ended with uh, David Copperfield's uh, <laughs> resident show at uh, MGM where I was staying. So there was also like some quirky moment. Uh, but in any case, um, you know, the few things is, you know, more and more startups involved in the, in the space is not only, you know, claim adjudication uh, automation is very much going, you know, full quantitative on the way you design policy from the get go. Uh, so that was very exciting on the innovation side of things. What's also interesting is the um, reception and open-mindedness of uh, capacity providers like towards more esoteric model, right? Uh, so there was, you know, your panel of uh, traditional, you know, top 10 reinsurance, your mid-market reinsurance people that are essentially, you know, more into specialty ENS and other areas and very excited about new solution that they can bring to the market. And then also like alternative capacity providers uh, such as captive. So captive insurance are looking at the way uh, of uh, diversifying the offer. So parametric is actually well-designed. When you think about, let's say, the Delta Cargo, uh, you know, operating a self-insuring, a lot of their SLAs or containers, then a captive insurance actually makes a ton of sense for them. So there's, there's a lot of those things that can be happening. And other players in also the more esoteric, like hedge funds related, uh, um, kind of reinsurance capacity providers. It's so like derivative form, SPVs, uh, which are willing to actually generate yields, you know, with treasury rates in a, in a very, uh, very low level. And people are trying to be creative to um, diversify the asset classes and how to generate premium and uh, add-on yields. And in this case, you know, we might have like, you know, a panel of, of um, syndication from traditional reinsurance plus a uh, new alternative source of balance sheet as well. So, that was that was fascinating. You know, I was very excited about this perspective, and it gave us a lot of uh, follow-up meetings after the fact. So this week, following week, and and, and whatnot, that's going to be very productive on that uh, perspective. And um, as you pointed out, James, uh, we did you know kind of started um, as a claim SaaS. You know, a lot of automation on the white labeling standpoint, and uh, sooner or later that we uh, realized that we want to actually have skin in the game. Um, you know, control the narrative. Uh, I'm coming from a lot of quantitative uh, financial modeling. So actually, we created our statistical and quantitative underwriting model internally, which was validated by an independent actuarial. Um, In in any case, that's the one thing we want to do. We don't want to just like, you know, modernly uh, automate workflow. We want to actually create a product end-to-end from subscription, pricing, risk, automation, and payments. And being this tech-enabled MGA is what actually can unleash that kind of possibilities. Awesome. Well, great discussion. I'm excited about the future of air transport, marine and cargo insurance, and parametric insurance in general. Of course, you can go and check out Autonomy uh, at their website, if you like, and that's autonomy.ai autonomy.ai. You can go and check that out there. Now, Rob, uh, kind of following on ITC, you had a little bit of insure tech news. I do. Yeah. So I've got three pieces this week. Two of them are kind of related. So uh, probably the biggest headline, one of the biggest headlines leaving ITC was Chubb CEO, Evan Greenberg, 
basically kind of poo-pooing InsureTech, uh, calling it hype and just saying that uh, the, the article in Carrier Management kind of talks about how, yes, maybe there's been some uh, acceleration of the use of technology within the uh, insurance sector, but uh, it was clear from uh, Greenberg's comments that he still thinks kind of carriers are atop the uh, the hierarchy and and sees a lot of the startup providers a lot lower. Of so course, there was some pushback in a second article on ah. that, <laughs> and uh, including from Caribou Hoeing and, and uh, <laughs> others. So yeah, this was uh, quite the the buzz. As a carrier once told me, Rob, you know, I was at I was at a carrier's office and I was asking for a simple data feed, and they said, James, the tail doesn't wag the dog. Here. <laughs> and uh, I've, I'll never forget that because it was just the, uh, it was, it was a, a, you know, I was like, but it's just a data feed. It would solve all the problems that you're talking about. The tail doesn't wag the dog here. We're not going to produce that data feed, even though it would solve all of our problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely took that gun out and shot that bird out of the sky, didn't he? he at least he tried to. <laughs> So always good to have a little controversy in the uh, the insurance area. <laughs> and then finally, uh, on actually a little more straightforward news, I suppose, uh, I actually published a thought leadership piece with Property Casualty 360 on uh, what we call the case for connected insurance. So the panel that I was on was talking about this concept of connected insurance actually going beyond automation from you know RPAs and other technologies to incorporating some of the sensors that were talking about another IoT and, and bringing this together. Um, and so I encourage folks to check that out. Check it out. And of course, Rob's seminal piece on disruption and technology, the end of insurance as we know it. Always good to uh, to remember he's got a book out there, folks. A good one, might I add. That uh, taught me a lot. I really enjoyed reading it. Rob, always thanks for the news and thanks for bringing the fire down from the mountain. Jan, so nice. Enchanté, mes amis. Et merci beaucoup for being on the show. I appreciate it uh, and it's nice to meet you. Je vous en prie. Merci beaucoup and uh, my pleasure. Yeah, so nice having you on and uh, enjoy the enjoy life over there in Brooklyn. Glad things are getting back to normal. At least my niece tells me it feels a lot more normal than it used to and uh, life is kind of resuming and the, the New York uh, housing market is picking back up steam and, you know, thing, things are happening. Uh, may all of you out there in listener land not be hit by supplier disruptions. Uh, may the the uh, the uh, ports in Long Beach are there. I heard uh, yesterday they're moving to to twenty four hour operations for the first time, first time ever to try and clear all the ships out of the harbor and get all the goods on land, and uh, hopefully everything else will start uh, start flowing here in America. But in the meantime, we're going to keep geeking out on insurance tech every single dang week. And so it's good to have you on here and good to talk the, at the InsureTech Geek Podcast. Powered by JB Knowledge at jbknowledge.com. It's all about tech that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com with co-host Rob Galbraith, endofinsurance.com. Big thanks to Jim Greenley, our podcast producer, Kara Daltonaro, our creative producer. And thank you for joining us. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time. <laughs>